Hi everyone, my name is Anastasia Lapatina and you're listening to This Week in Ukraine, a new video podcast from the Kyiv Independent. Every week, I sit down with one of my newsroom colleagues to dive into Ukraine's most pressing issues. And today, we're talking about the work of Ukrainian air defense and how it denied Russia its air superiority that so many predicted it would have. I'm joined by the Kyiv Independent reporter Francis Farrell. Francis, welcome back to the show. Always a pleasure. So let's begin by talking about what happened on Monday night when Kyiv was under a massive Russian attack. A lot of residents said that they've never heard anything like this before. So what actually happened? So what we saw the night before last was a really large coordinated attack specifically on Kyiv with a whole bunch of different missiles. Um, in the end, according to the counts by Ukraine's own air force, there were nine caliber missiles, six Kinjal missiles, three Iskander missiles, and a bunch of drones. And that's normally the kind of tally you would see for a mass attack across all of Ukraine. But we know that almost all of them, if not all of them, were used on Kyiv itself. It was pretty loud. I, I know both of us have heard the attack, right? Yeah, so everyone in Kyiv has their own story. Uh, some of them saw the air defense actually shooting down these missiles. I remember for me, I live on the first floor, so I didn't see them, but I just woke up at three o'clock in the morning and it was like kind of rhythmic one after the other, explosion, explosion, explosion. And, you know, normally it's one or two and mm -hmm. they're at strange intervals. But, you know, this was the first time in Kiev that I felt like we are under a real like bombardment. Yeah, I live in Irpin, so in Kiev suburbs. And I woke up, I think earlier than three from a single really massive explosion. I still don't really know what that was. But, you know, the car alarms went off and I actually, I think this was like the first time that I actually got really scared because usually I kind of went the side of like, I believe in our air defense and like, what are the chances that out of all the buildings in Kyiv, an European mine is going to be hit. But I actually did go, you know, to the bathroom to hide and all of these things. So it was really bad. Yeah, I remember like. Most of the time as well, having been to the front line, if I hear an explosion in Kiev in the morning or something, I'm just like, yeah, good morning, Russia. And I yeah. go about my day. Um, That's most of us. Yeah. But, but this time it was like, oh, we are under attack. Something interesting is happening. And what were they trying to achieve with this attack? So with this one, you know, the way the missiles were also coordinated, um, the way they've used some of their most expensive missiles, which we'll talk about later, and kind of the videos that came out, it's all signs point to the fact that they were probably trying to knock out Ukraine's Patriot air defense, one of the most prized weapons that Ukraine has at the moment. And what is the system? Um, the system is basically the flagship strategic air defense surface-to-air missile system made by the U.S. and exported to a bunch of other countries. Um, it's, it's very advanced. It consists, one battery consists of eight launchers. So what we normally see when we think of the Patriot, we see a launcher. But that's when we talk about one Patriot battery, there's eight of those. And then there's also the radar system. There's the command unit. There's the antenna system, the power station. So it's a, it's a very complicated system, but also very mobile and, and very effective. And it can shoot down both missiles, cruise missiles, ballistic missiles, as well as, well as enemy air targets, um, enemy aircraft uh, at quite long range. So it's, it's an impressive system. Ukraine asked for it for a long time and didn't get it. 
finally, only in December, around the time when Zelensky visited Washington, did they finally agree. Uh, Ukraine got one from the US, one from Germany, and also the Netherlands uh, provided launches and missiles. Uh, and they arrived only in April, and now they've started working in May. So this huge attack was solely to try and destroy the Patriot? Did they succeed? Uh, yeah, the attack was almost certainly just to destroy uh, the Patriot. You could see with the, the way these really expensive missiles were used. And it also has the political significance. It's worth talking about. So when they announced that Ukraine was getting the Patriots, uh, Putin immediately said, okay, well, you send them, we'll destroy them, we'll knock them out. And they cost a lot for the US. So it's a really big kind of morale strategic blow if Russia was able to destroy these just a week or two after they were put into service. And as for whether they succeeded or not, uh, at first, Russia immediately said that we knocked out the Patriot. And um, I mean, they also said that they destroyed more HIMARS system that we yeah. currently have in Ukraine. So yeah, but uh, on the other hand, Ukraine said that they didn't hit anything at all. They said that all the missiles were shot down, everything was perfect. So there is this kind of war propaganda on both sides when it comes to the official, official accounts. And then mm -hmm. later, Uh, CNN and the New York Times talked to U.S. officials, as they do, and they said that, according to them, one of the systems was slightly damaged, received some minor damage, probably one of the launches, um, but it's still operational. It doesn't need to be taken away uh, for repairs. So, yeah, you could definitely say this was a huge, a huge victory for Ukraine's air defense and that Russia failed in their goals. And why is this system so valuable? How does it differ from other air defense systems that Ukraine has already? Well, again, it's the flagship Western strategic air defense system. It's very significant. It's, it's a symbol of how Ukraine is now really getting the top Western, Western gear and Western tech. More importantly, for the actual military side of things, it's the only replacement um, that the West can provide for Ukraine for its own strategic kind of long-range surface-to-air missiles. And, but it's not only a replacement, it's an upgrade in many ways. It, it performs better. And we know that, you know, recent, these last attacks have shown that it can shoot down missiles that, that Ukraine's air defense could previously not shoot down. Um, so those missiles which Russia was using imperviously uh, can, now, can now be countered. And of course, the political value, like it's, it's really Ukraine's pride and joy when it comes to their weapons at the moment, along with HIMARS and, and Leopard tanks and that kind of thing. To understand air defense just a bit better, it's also useful to look at what the air defense is actually defending Ukraine against. So tell us a bit about the different weapons Russia uses against Ukraine. Well, if we're limiting the discussion to what Russia's using long range against cities, um, of course, the, the battlefield thing, there's all kinds of artillery, all kinds of other weapons being used. But if we're talking about Ukrainian cities, if we're talking about maybe Ukrainian critical infrastructure, then we're talking about Russia's long range missile capabilities. And so there, there are the sea launched cruise missiles like the Calibers. There are the air-launched cruise missiles, which are often launched from deep inside Russia from, from bombers. Uh, there are the Iskander ballistic missiles, uh, which follow a ballistic trajectory, and they have a range of about 500 kilometers. And there are these Kinjals as well, um, which are air-launched ballistic missiles. So to just explain, they, they're launched from uh, a bomber fighter aircraft, usually the MiG-31. And... They come in 
very fast and uh, they're hypersonic. They've just been recently released uh, by Russia and advertised as this kind of super weapon that's impossible mm -hmm. to shoot down. So these, these missiles all have different characteristics. They're, some are more easy to shoot down than others. And uh, in these mass missile attacks that Russia has been using against Ukraine, they, they often use a combination of them. And so which ones have posed the biggest threat to Ukraine and have been hardest to intercept? There is this famous Kinjal, which Russia talks a lot about. It's Russian for, for dagger. It's very intimidating. And, and Russian propaganda has talked about how it's impossible to shoot down hypersonic. Um, and Ukraine has also admitted that we can't shoot these down. Russia has a very limited stock of them, and we'll talk about that. But so instead, they've used a lot of these missiles called um, the Ka-22, uh, which are actually originally designed way back in the Soviet Union to attack large ships, including aircraft carriers. And so they're, they've got a huge warhead, they're very destructive. And because of the way they fly as well, uh, Ukraine has also said, we can't shoot these down. And this missile specifically has been the culprit in some of the most brutal attacks against civilians uh, in the Kremenchuk shopping center, as well as the Dnipro in, um, in January, the, the apartment building, which I mean, you could see there was and just folded a like cards. Yeah, it was just a huge hole where this building once was. And, and in both those occasions, it was this Car 22 missile, which Ukraine said, yeah, we, we can't shoot down. And so why can't Ukraine shoot those down? Is that just the speed or the trajectory? Yeah, it's partly the speed and partly the, the trajectory because uh, cruise missiles, for example, they just fly horizontally at a consistent altitude. And so it's easier to pick that up by radar, maybe when they're a long way back. Whereas missiles like the Kinjal or even the, the Ha-22, it, it's a cruise missile, but it has characteristics of a ballistic missile. So that means that they come in on a very vertical trajectory um, very quickly. And do we know how many missiles Russia still has left altogether? Obviously, all of these kind of estimates are just estimates. Right. Uh, Ukraine themselves, the defense ministry put out some numbers over winter about how many missiles they thought Russia had left in terms of their high precision missile stockpiles. So these are the long range ones that we've been talking about. They said in January that Russia had about 530 uh, of these long-range high-precision missiles left, which is only about 19% of what they're estimated to have before the full-scale invasion. We know since then there have been more mass missile strikes, dozens more, hundreds more maybe, of these missiles have been used. They've also, you know, they're starting to produce them, but we know that they have a lot of trouble producing them because of sanctions, because of the state of their, right. their industry in general. Um, so that's probably further further diminished. Uh, but Russia is also adapting in their own ways. So if we go back in time to the very beginning of Russia's full-scale invasion, a lot of people were saying that skies are Ukraine's biggest weakness. So most people expected that Russia will very quickly gain air superiority. Did that actually happen? No, it didn't. Uh, Russia, so Russia has a very powerful air force, a very capable air force. And as you said, most people expected that Russia would very quickly knock out a lot of Ukraine's air defense uh, capabilities, a lot of Ukraine's airfields. And I mean, Russia themselves said that they destroyed Ukraine's whole air force, which looked a bit stupid. Um, and, and then that Russia would be able to just fly in and out of Ukraine's airspace, completing whatever missions they wanted to do, and also hit whatever they wanted with missiles. And, and we can see very clearly that that's not the case. Um, 
And so why did that happen? Well, it's worth remembering that Ukraine actually by, you know, compared to any NATO country, any European country, actually had a really like extensive air defense capability at, at the start of the, the full-scale invasion. Um, a lot of it's dominated by Soviet systems um, like the S-300, which is like a Soviet version of the Patriot, um, still quite capable, and which Ukraine had a lot of, and a lot of other lower level, medium range, tactical uh, air defense systems. They also got a lot of stingers, the shoulder launched, um, air defense missiles from from the west and so they were able to actually do really well to stay alive to shoot down russian missiles and most importantly to keep the russian air force out of the fight uh, we know that in the first few weeks of the invasion when you know especially around kiev the the situation wasn't great for the russian army to say the least they were in trouble and they tried to support them with with the air force with close air support aircraft but quite often these these airplanes these helicopters were were getting knocked out of the sky by by ukrainian air defense when people didn't expect that and so after that we saw a very clear shift where russia became a lot more conservative with their air force and they still haven't used used it much on the level of of their capabilities over over the entire war since then it's a lot mostly in reserve so Ukraine's air defense basically performed so well that Russia was just scared to use its air force to the fullest potential and was saving the air force up? Yeah, pretty much. Um, it, it's also worth remembering, of course, Russia's air force is much more capable, but why would they put expensive planes at risk when they can achieve the same objectives with tens of thousands of men, uh, potentially? But at the same time, the infamous U.S. Discord intelligence leaks mentioned that Ukraine is running out of ammunitions for systems like the S-300. So how bad is that problem? Um, yeah, it's pretty bad. There's no point really sugarcoating it because the S-300 is, and, and all the other Soviet air defense systems that Ukraine uses, they're so key for, for this ability to shoot missiles out of the sky, for the ability to keep the Russian air force out of the game. And... The missiles, the interceptor missiles that these air defense systems use, they are only produced in Russia. Um, they were produced in the Soviet Union and now, crazy. now only in Russia. And these are complicated things. There's not, they're not like shells that you can start making from scratch or you can reverse engineer. You can try, but it's, it's very difficult and we don't know of any successful attempts to do that. So um, because of that, they need to really make some tough decisions, you know, because that it's just a fact that they will run out one day. And so the only way you can extend the time before that happens is by using them less. Uh, and then you need a long-term solution for after they run out. So, you, and also at the same time, Ukraine needs to prioritize like where we, we can use less and less of these and where do we need to put them? Do we need to put them around cities? Do we need to put them on the battlefield? And there are always sacrifices involved here because you either leave your cities less defended or you leave your soldiers on the battlefield less defended. And you can see there's so much economics involved in this. You see the way Russia uses the Iranian drones, which are super cheap. And that's, you know, they're very easy to shoot down, but they're specifically designed so that uh, they're used in a way that Ukraine is forced to use these limited air defense missiles against them mm -hmm. um, to use them up quicker, quicker. And then Ukraine responds to that by uh, creating these mobile teams of Shahid Iranian drone hunters where they put a machine gun on a pickup truck 
um, because they know themselves that they can't be using an S300 to shoot down a Shahid. It's, it's such a complicated game of cat and mouse. So basically, the main air defense system that Ukraine is using, the S-300, was made in the Soviet times, and it was produced in Russia with the Russian industrial defense complex. And it can't be replicated. It can't be produced anywhere else. And we're running out of it. Um, what can Ukraine do about that? Yeah, so the S-300 is the main defense system, the air defense system they use at a strategic range. So up up to maybe 100 kilometers or so. They have the other Soviet systems, which which for, for, uh, perform different tasks at a smaller range, but they have the same problem, actually. Um, so it's, it's, it's a multi-layered problem. Obviously, as we said, we need, they need to prioritize, they need to save these up as much as possible. To, they need to drag out the, the life expectancy of these systems and, and their ammunition stocks. Otherwise, obviously, Ukraine is always asking for more air defense from the West. Uh, but there's a problem here as well, because the, the systems that they got before Patriot, for example, the NASAM system, the IRIS-T, the German one, the Hawks system, and others, uh, the Gepards, the German Gepards, which are not missiles, they're actually um, autocannons, they all operate at a much smaller range. So they can replace mm -hmm. the, the other Soviet systems with the smaller range. They're very good at guarding cities. They're very good at guarding military objects, potentially. But they can't deny huge areas of, of Ukraine's territory like the S-300 did. And the only one that can replace the S-300 is the Patriot. And we know how expensive they are. We know how difficult it is to, to get a lot of them. And the missiles, the interceptor missiles are also really expensive. And so that's a general problem with this Western air defense is that not only are they expensive, but there's just not much of it around. Why? Because, because NATO countries in the wars that they've been fighting in the last few decades, they've almost always been able to rely on, on air superiority. They've right. al al almost always known that they're not going to be fighting against an enemy with an amazing a strong air force. So they or, never prepared for peer-to-peer -peer competition, essentially. Basically, yeah. And especially on this industrial level of mm -hmm. huge scale state-to-state -state war that we see between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, so they just don't have it in their stocks to to provide Ukraine hmm. with, with the kind of quantity of air defense that can replace Ukraine's own impressive Soviet-era stocks. Uh, just to give an idea of, of, of the, the scale involved here, it's estimated that Ukraine had about a hundred functioning operational batteries of S-300 at the time of, of the full-scale invasion. And we know obviously that some have been destroyed and now the ammunition is limited, but that's a hundred batteries. And Ukraine's got two Patriot batteries to, to replace that. So just, just an idea of, of mm -hmm. how, how much you need to kind of punch above your weight, I guess, to, to, come, to even come close to replacing what Ukraine had before. And even getting those two was such a pain, right? Yeah, a pain and, and billions of dollars. Right. You mentioned that Russia saved up its air force in the beginning of the full-scale invasion. Is that going to be a problem for Ukraine in the future, especially with the upcoming counteroffensive? In the context of the offensive itself, uh, it, it remains to be seen. Obviously, it really depends on how dire the situation gets in terms of Ukraine's air defense ammunition. And it also depends on how they're able to use uh, air defense in the offensive, uh, how they're able to place Western systems and how well they can defend their 
their troops and their ammunition going forward. Um, because yeah, if if Russia tries tries to you know, preemptively attack these formations and and again they take huge losses in their air force, they might still hold back. And that's that should be Ukraine's aim, really, to to just keep you know we Ukraine can't beat the Russian air force. They can't right. destroy the Russian air force, but the 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 aim needs to continue to keep them out of the game to continue to to keep them scared and worried enough not to not to use them at full scale of course of course another variable of how dire the situation gets is is the state of ukraine's own air force uh, we know that they've done very well to keep a lot of their jets operational but it's very limited and there's a reason why zelensky reznikov ukraine in general has been calling so much for these western jets specifically f-16s there are other other systems that could work because ukraine is unlikely to get the number of jets they to to match the russian air force it's impossible but if it's just enough where there can be enough uh, of these successful engagements where where russia's command is going to back off they're not going to enter the fight the way they could then that's already going to have a huge impact and we've also seen kind of the mastery of ukrainian soldiers where they somehow almost miraculously managed to use so little resources so effectively against an outnumbered enemy. So anything can happen, really. Yeah, I mean, that's been Ukraine's strength throughout the war. And in, in many ways, we're hoping and we're relying on Ukraine to be able to continue to, to surprise us in those ways to, to have the best chances going forward. We're now going to be moving to some questions that we received on Patreon. As always, our patrons get a chance to ask us questions before every single episode. And they also get exclusive access to events like thematic discussions with editors and more. It's really easy to get such access for as little as $5 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash independent. So the first question that we received was, can Ukrainian planes bomb Russian ships in the Black Sea? It's an interesting one because on one hand, it seems so far-fetched. And, you know, if we technically use the word bomb, uh, that means flying all the way and dropping bombs on, on Russian ships. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not really possible because just as Ukraine has really strong Soviet legacy air defense, well, unfortunately, Russia has too. They have even more of it and they haven't had to use it as much. And Ukraine's air force is so much smaller, so much you know more valuable. We we Ukraine really can't risk planes mm -hmm. on on that kind of long range uh, long range mission. Um, but it's but it's important to to hit these ships uh, in the context actually of our air defense discussion because those ships are the ones that are launching these caliber cruise missiles very often and. The number of caliber missiles that Russia can launch is depending is dependent very much on the amount of launches that they have, mm -hmm. which are all on these ships. So it's it's a it's actually a very important target, and there's maybe potentially a bit of hope now that Ukraine has received these new long range storm shadow missiles from from the UK, which are the longest range missiles that anyone has given Ukraine so far. And I think France also said they would send their own kind of long-range missiles, which they didn't specify what they were. But but with that kind of range, Ukraine will now be able to hit almost anything in Crimea, including the Black Sea Fleet in Sevastopol, which could make a huge difference. They're, they're expensive and they won't get, we don't know how many they'll get, 
So again, there'll be decisions made, priority targets, but, but that could be a very, a very important target to hit. Another question was, are there any systems that could protect people at closer range risk from artillery or missile attacks in places like Kharkiv and Kherson? The Petron totally understands there is barely any time to detect incoming fire, but is there anything out there which could protect civilians, they ask? Again, yeah, it's a good question. And the the threat to Kiev, for example, is is not something you compare can compare to the threat to a, a city that's much closer to the front line. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always like it's always a question of distance and it's a question of what Russia can use to hit um a certain target, a certain city. And I mean the most tragic case right now is obviously Kherson because Russia was pushed back across the, the river, the Dnipro, but they're only a few kilometers away from Kherson and it's basically impossible to push them back any further. And so there they're using artillery, howitzers, uh, grad rocket launchers. And I guess the only way to counter that is just to hit the artillery battery back, right? Yeah, exactly. Counter battery fire, hitting ammunition stocks, basically deterring the Russians from continuing to roll up uh, their guns to the river and, and to shoot at the city. Um, there, there's no other way to really intercept those kind of of munitions. Uh, with a place like Kharkiv, where Russia's a bit further back, Kharkiv, Zaporizhia, potentially Mykolaiv, we know that what they're hitting these cities with a lot is their own S-300 missiles, which have been converted to attack targets on the ground. How is that possible? Well, as with any other air defense surface-to-air missile system that works with a missile, they launch a missile at a target that they've found with radar at a certain part of the sky. That's how the missile is guided. But here, of course, the target isn't in the air, the target is on the ground. So they put in the same coordinates in the air and calculate around where it's going to land on the ground, fired at that part of the air. That's insane. Yeah. uh, And the consequence of that is that this is not a precision missile. It's really inaccurate and because it's so inaccurate, that's why it's mostly used as a tool of terror, just terrorizing, terrorizing cities um, in Zaporizhia, in Kharkiv, Mykolaiv, having been there, seen, you know, seen places where also in Donbass, this is used, um, Kramatorsk. This is the kind of place where these, these are used a lot. And they were also pretty much impossible um, for Ukraine to shoot down with their shorter range tactical air defense systems, the Soviet ones especially. And in fact, it was also possible that Patriot was the only system that, that could shoot this down. But we've only got two. Yes. And more importantly, the interceptor missiles for the Patriot, they cost a lot of money, um, over like several millions of dollars just for each each interceptor missile. So we know for sure that Ukraine won't be using Patriot to shoot down S-300 missiles that mm-hmm. are inaccurate, that are not going to hit an important target. And mm-hmm. Russia has thousands of them. So again, Patriot's out of the question. And again, this is just one of those, one of those reasons that cities that are close to the front line, they're going to be victim to these attacks, these kind of, this attempt at just basically terrorizing them long into the future. Well, Francis, thank you. This was very interesting. As usual, it's a pleasure. Also this week, Ukrainian military regained 20 square kilometers of land on the outskirts of Bakhmut. 
Ukraine's defense ministry reported on May 16th. Yet according to the Institute for the Study of War, Russia is still likely committed to reinforcing offensive efforts in Bakhmut, despite Ukraine's successful counterattacks. The head of Ukraine's Supreme Court, Sevlad Knyazev, was arrested when receiving a bribe of around $3 million. Ukraine's official anti-corruption bodies said they had exposed a large-scale corruption scheme in the Supreme Court, which was carried out by the court's leadership. And CNN reported on May 16th that Ukraine has already used some of the storm shadow missiles provided by the UK. These are reportedly the longest-range missiles Ukraine has at the moment. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening.